You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. So I encourage you guys to be there. I am functioning on about three hours of sleep this morning. So uh, we, we rolled in last night about 1.45 from a, from a wedding that uh, we were a part of in Oklahoma. So, um, so hopefully, I, I told Todd as I was coming up here, when I'm tired, I feel like my filter's not as good. <laughs> so, um, so hopefully we're going to keep this reined in and the Holy Spirit is going to do something this morning. Because what I want to do this morning, I want to talk about what the vision of Anthem Church is. Okay, we're, we're starting a new, a new season, a new year of ministry, year, year two of Anthem Church. And we're trying to figure out what, what does this look like and, and what do we do and how do we serve and, and, and what areas do we serve and what should we be about and kicking off youth ministry and all these different things. And I think what happens oftentimes is, is we, can, we can do a lot of things and forget about why we do those things. And, and I don't know about you, but I've been a part of organizations and ministries before where there is a vision statement, but I mean, nobody knows where it came from or, or why it's there or why it exists. It's just there. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really dictate um, what we do. It reminds me of uh, my, my wife when she went to China a couple years ago. She brought me home a t-shirt and it had a lot of English words on it. I don't know if you've been overseas. You see these a lot. They, they have a lot of English words on them. And it's like, well, those, I mean, those words are right, but, but it's interesting why they're put on the same shirt. Like I, ha, yeah, I have a few examples. Um, take a ice cream hot war. I, I mean, wh- what is that? Why is that a shirt, right? I think I have one more up there. Um, who can stop me? Catch me if you can. No way. Beep, beep. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, why, why is that on a t-shirt? Right, when, we, when we think about the vision of Anthem Church, I want to give it to you, all right? The the vision of Anthem Church, if you're a note taker, I think I have it up on the screen. Vision of Anthem Church is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. And yet, oftentimes, uh, if you've you've been with us for a little while, you've heard that before, you've heard us say that before, you could maybe, even if I asked you what the vision of Anthem Church is, maybe you could repeat that back to me, but at the end of the day, it's just like one of those t-shirts where where you're kind of like, I, I don't know what it means, but hopefully I get it on a t-shirt someday or a coffee cup. See, we, we want that to mean something here. We want it to, we want it to dictate what we do. When we, when we talk about helping people know, love, and obey Jesus, we want to be people who are seeking to know, love, and obey Jesus. And we do that, our mission, which Stan, our, our lead pastor, who's just up here, He's going to talk about that next week of how we do that. But the mission of how we accomplish our vision is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus by making disciples that make disciples. And, and when we ask people, well, well what's a disciple or, or what does it mean to be a Christian? Because those two things go hand in hand. What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, you, you can get a lot of different answers, right? You get people talking about the churches they attend or you get people talking about the things they do. Right, that they're a good person, or or you get people telling you a bunch of things they don't do. Right? Well, I don't go here. I don't do this. I don't drink that, and and that's why. Or or you get the age at which they were baptized, or you get the 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 prayer that they prayed when they were young, and and that changed their eternal destination. You you get a lot of different ideas about 
about what it means to actually be a Christian. And yet the reason we have the vision that we do to help people know, love, and obey Jesus, I'm going to keep saying that, and you're probably going to get tired of it by the end of the morning, but that's all right, because I want you to walk away with us being like, what's a vision, mission? I don't know, but, but it's to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. The reason we, we say that is because we believe the idea of, of what it means to be a Christian is found in this progression of knowing, loving, and obeying. And there's a reason we have that in those orders, because we see that throughout Scripture. And we're going to be looking in John 14, and we see, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And we see this progression in John 14 to, to know, which leads to love, which leads to obedience. But even that, when you think about that progression, it, it, people can take like, things out of that and still get it wrong. And they can say, well, well you know, I'm, I'm a Christian or I'm a disciple because I obey. But you can obey without knowing or loving. And you can love without knowing or obeying, and you can, you can know without, we can, we can take these things out, and it, it's kind of like um, if you were to say, well, I know that cake has like sugar and flour and eggs, and I don't know, what else does cake have in it? I don't know, goodness, like <laughs> vanilla. And if you say, all right, well, I know that cake is made up of these things, and so I don't, I don't have all the ingredients, but I'm just going to throw a cup of flour and a cup of sugar in my mouth and crack a raw egg in there. You know, if you see somebody doing that, it's like, what are you doing? I'm eating cake. It's not very good. It's like, no, that's not, that's not cake, right? You, you haven't had cake if you say, well, I've had flour. But, but when, we, when we understand that there's a progression here, and when we understand that, that when, we, when we follow this progression, when we see this, it helps us to be people who are truly on mission for God. And that's why the vision of Anthem Church is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. So if you're in John chapter 14, if you've turned there, um, we're going we're gonna to read this. And I want to give you a little bit of a context before we get into it. See, in John 14, Jesus, in John 13, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he's going to be crucified, and he's going to be taken away from them. And the disciples are freaking out, and they're, they're, they're wondering what's going on here. And, and so Jesus is he's, he's beginning to, to comfort his disciples, and that's kind of the context in which he begins to, to lay out this progression where, where we see this progression coming in. So, so in John chapter 14, let's start with verse 1. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus telling his disciples, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I, may, where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Let's stop there. We see as Jesus is, is trying to uh, bring comfort to his disciples, as he's talking about the cross in Jerusalem and what's, what's going to happen in the next few days, he, he begins to tell them, he's saying, look, 
the invitation there is to know God. I mean, that, that verse, as we, as we said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That, that's a super familiar passage, right? But it's in this context of, of, look, I want you to know God, and you know God by knowing me. You can, you can know God. You can be in relationship with God. We can know God. You and I, the invitation is to, is to know God. This knowing God, one of the translations of this word knowing it's super interesting because it's the, it's the same concept of a, of a man and wife knowing each other. And you're like, well, what's that mean? It's they know each other, right? Like Adam and Eve, they knew each other, and she got pregnant. <laughs> it's, yeah, you, you connect the dots, right? See this, and you're thinking, I don't know what, I don't know if I like that. What, what does that even mean? It, it's this idea of it's, a, if, it's an intimate knowledge, it's, it's the most intimate that you can be with another person. It's, it's this idea of, of, it's not just knowledge of, but it's knowing. Deep, intimate, knowing. And yet what we do oftentimes is we substitute that type of knowing, that type of knowledge, that type of relationship with God that we can have, you and I can have through Jesus Christ. We substitute that for knowledge of Jesus. Right, We substitute knowing Jesus with knowledge of Jesus. And the problem is that's not the same thing. Right? James, uh, James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one? Great. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. See, knowledge of Jesus, it puts you on the same level as demons who have knowledge, but they don't, they don't have love. They definitely don't have obedience. You guys, th- this reality... As we look at this, it, it reminds me of my own story. Growing up, I knew everything there was to know about the gospel and, and, and what we needed to do and how you should repent and all those different things. And yet that knowledge did not lead me to love. It led me to rebellion. I didn't want to submit my life to God. I didn't want to, I didn't want to submit to him. And yet I knew as I was going through high school, if somebody would ask me, you know, the, people ask the question all the time, where would you go tonight if you, if you died? If you died tonight, where would you go? I knew the answer to that, and it was hell. And yet I was not going to submit my life to, to Christ. See, knowledge of Jesus, it's like, I mean, have you seen the illustration of like a chair? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down off of here. Is that going to give feedback? All right, just warning you. So if you take a chair, you guys have seen this illustration before, right? So if you take a chair, and I have knowledge that this chair can hold me. It's just a chair. So people, are, people are like, I can't see what he's doing. It's a chair. It's the same thing you're sitting in, right? Nothing. It's not a magic trick, I promise. Uh, so if, if, I, if I see this chair, and it's like, okay, I know this chair can hold me intellectually, right? I believe that. And I can say, oh, yes, this chair is good. It's solid. It's sturdy. It's going to hold me. See, knowledge of the chair, it's not until I sit down in this chair that I actually experience knowing that this chair can hold me up. See, knowledge of Jesus is different than knowing Jesus, the the, the opportunity that we have to know God, and that's why that progression begins there. Because, because Jesus is saying, look, you can know. And, and we look in John chapter 1 where, where it, it talks about how the, the light has come into the world. He came to his own and his own did not recognize him. But to those who did, he gave the right to become children of God. 
It, it starts with knowledge. It starts with intimacy with God. It starts with a, with a renewed relationship. And, and then, but then he, he kind of turns a corner. In John chapter 14, verse, verse 15, we see, we see Jesus kind of turns a corner. In 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You see, the implication as we, as we start with this idea of knowledge, of knowing God, this, this invitation to be restored in relationship to God, not just knowledge of, without love or obedience, but an experiential knowledge. When, when we have that, you turn the corner and the, the, the ramifications are, or the implications are, then you begin to love him. I, I love the psalmist um, in Psalm 34. says this, starting in verse 4. It's up on the screen. It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See, it's not an idea of manufacturing love for, for someone who is unloving or unlovable. It's this understanding that when we truly begin to understand who Jesus is and know who Jesus is, we understand that, like the psalmist says, taste and see. Taste and see. Blessed is the man whose, whose, whose faith is in him, whose trust is in him. He is worthy of love. And yet, as we look at that, I, there's two things I want to point out about this. The first one is that true love does not come before real knowledge. Okay, true love does not come before real knowledge. When I was growing up, I love, I love cartoons. I still love cartoons. And I love having kids because it gives me a, an excuse to watch more cartoons. Even though the cartoons today, you know, I feel, I feel old when I say that, but they're no good. Um, when, when I was growing up, it was Looney Tunes and the old, old Disney cartoons. They were, they were, they were top notch. Right? And I remember, I, as I was going through this, I remember one of the cartoons, um, it was Donald Duck. And Donald Duck, I, I don't remember the whole cartoon. It was pretty short. You know, those cartoons were short. But, but Donald Duck fell in love with this girl. And I don't think it was Daisy. I think this was pre-Daisy days. Um, but this, this duck was like, I mean, she had the long eyelashes and the perfect makeup and the perfect hair. And she, I mean, she was all put together. And, and so, so through the course of this super short cartoon, I have no idea how long it was, but they got married uh, really quick. They got married. And, and I remember the morning after, the morning, and this is a children's cartoon, but the morning after, uh, Donald kind of stumbles into the kitchen after, a, after getting married, I don't know, and, and he, he walks in, and there is his now bride, and she's got like, instead of like the perfect makeup and the eyelashes, now she has this green gunk all over her face, and, and she's got her hair in rollers, and she's got this scurvy like uh, bathrobe on, and she's holding a cup of coffee, and, and to top it off, she's got a cigarette drooping out of her mouth, which is, I mean, yeah, perfectly acceptable for a children's cartoon. Thank you, Disney Channel, right? And, and he walks in, and she's like, good morning, hubby, or something like that. And, and Donald, uh, you know, you can imagine what he did. He turned, and instead of opening the door, he runs through the door, trying to get away from his, his now wife, and he leaves the, the outline of, you know, his, his body through the door. See, what happens oftentimes, there's a reason I tell you that. What happens oftentimes is 
we say we love Jesus. But the, the Jesus that we, we say we love is not truly the real Jesus who actually lived. See, this is the problem with the crowds that follow Jesus around. In, in Luke, um, Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus, he's sharing in his hometown and the synagogues, and it, it says that everybody was speaking well of him. And, and if you think about the triumphal entry when, when Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he's riding a donkey into the streets, the, the people, they, they take off their, their cloaks and their robes and they lay it down in front of Jesus on the road and they, they have palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna, which means, which means God save us, right? It, it, it means they're, they're basically saying, look, the Messiah is here. The one who, is, who has come is here. And they're, they're shouting Hosanna. And, and, and Jesus, like, they, they really love the Jesus that they think they know until he starts to say things that they don't really like. Like when he's in his hometown, they're all speaking well of him until he starts to say, you know what? I'm, I am here. I am who you say that I am. But I'm not going to fix all your problems the way you think I'm going to. And they're like, what? You kidding me? So what do they do? They, they, they march him out of the city and they try and throw him off a cliff. When he, when, he marches, when he rides that donkey into Jerusalem, everybody has warm feelings about him and, and everybody's going after him and everybody's listening to him until he starts to say things that they don't really like and then a week later they're, they're shouting, crucify him. See, they have warm feelings about Jesus, and they say they love Jesus, and yet the, the Jesus that they've manufactured isn't the real Jesus. And when that real Jesus conflicts with the Jesus in their mind, they say, no, I, I'm done with that. See, you can't truly love Jesus until you truly know Jesus. Because the Jesus, I, I mean, the question is obvious, isn't it? Do you know the Jesus that you love? Or, or do you have this manufactured Jesus that, that likes the songs that you like and, and, and watches the same shows you watch and hangs out with the same friends you want and would, would approach his retirement the way that you approach your, approach your retirement and all those different things? And is that your Jesus or, or is Jesus starting to say, no, actually, that's not what I would do? And he begins to conflict. And, and then what we do is we say, well, get out of my iPod, Jesus. Get out of my future plans, Jesus. Get out of my Netflix, Jesus. It reminds me of when, uh, when I was in fifth grade, we, we watched that inevitable movie about your changing bodies. You guys remember that? Some of you, it's been a while. But I remember we're, we're getting ready to watch this show, and uh, I mean, it's, you know, you, you throw a bunch of boys in a room, like, older boys with younger boys, and then you show them this video, what could possibly go wrong, right? I mean, it's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I remember as they wheeled that big TV in on, on the audiovisual cart, my mom comes walking in after it. And, and I'm thinking, what? Why? I'm thinking all is right in the world. We're going to have a laugh. And then my mom comes in. And I remember this guy, his name was Roger Lomberger. He was sitting right in front of me. He was in the grade above me. He's this small guy, but scrappy, kind of a small bully. And, uh, and he turned and faced me. He said, Luke, if your mom's going to stay here, I'm going to punch you. I was like, what? <laughs> Why is this my fault? <laughs> But what happens, again, what happens is when Jesus starts to show up, the real Jesus starts to show up where we don't want him to be. How do we respond? 
Again, the question is, do you, do you really know the Jesus that you love? Because you can't really love him unless you truly know him. Right? And, and the, the second thing I want to point out about this, this idea of, of loving Jesus is that obedience is not the same as love. Do you see that? Obedience is not the same as love. Uh, and, and that was the sin of the Pharisees, these religious rulers in Jesus' day, the, these, these people who, who uh, in Matthew 23, 23, I have it up on the screen. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe to you, and this is, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, what they were doing was, was they were following the law that they wanted to follow, and their obedience was in check. Their behavior was in check. And yet their obedience and their behavior was not produced. It, it wasn't out of love. It wasn't out of knowledge. They were, they were just picking that part out and saying, mm, this is good cake. And it's like, no, it's not cake. You have a mouthful of flour. And Jesus is saying, look, this, that's not... It's not right. The psalmist David, I love in Psalm 51, David says this, verse 16 through 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, David wrote that psalm right after he slept with Bathsheba. Right after he, he went and he took her, who was, she was another man's wife, and she, he got her pregnant, and, and, and then he, he had her husband killed. And he tried to cover it all up, and he's like, okay, we're all good, everything's good, nobody, nobody knows. I'm just going to keep going, my behavior looks fine, I look good, I look the part, I can go to church on Sunday morning, and nobody's the wiser. And yet, he gets confronted with his sin, and he repents, and he, he, he turns from that sin, and he goes to God, and he says, God, it, the actions you don't want. I could give you sacrifice. I'm the king. I have, I have thousands of bulls that I, could, that I could kill, that I could slay, but that's not what you want. You don't want just obedience. You want my heart. You don't want just behavior modification. You want a heart that is... That is for you, a heart that is submitted for you. See, and I think that's what, that's what we miss all too often. As, as, a, as a camp counselor, I remember there would be so many times where I'd have, and a youth pastor, I'd have people asking me, like, well, how far is too far? You know, most, mostly in, in terms of relationships, with physical relationships between, you know, girls and guys. It's like, well, how, how far is too far? You know, well, well if, if we're not, like, actually doing this, like, then is that okay? Like, are, are we pure if we're, if we're not actually going all the way? Or, or it, you know, I'm, I'm not actually looking at pornography, but yeah, okay, sometimes my, my word searches in, in Google lead me to, to different things where, where I'm not actually doing it, but my, my behavior, you know, behavior modification, I'm trying, so how far is too far? The problem is that's the wrong question, or, or well, why can't I wear this? Why can't I, why can't I do this? Why can't I, I prepare my future in this way? Why can't I keep back money for myself? Why can't I do all these different things? And the problem is it's the wrong question. And those of us who have grown up in the church, we, we do the same thing, but we just do it a little bit different. We, we look at others and we say, well, how dare they wear that? Or, or how dare they watch those things? And we think if we, can just, if we can just 
change their behavior, then that's the real problem. If they would just change their clothes, if they would just change their interests. And in the same way, people are saying, well, how close can I get? It's the wrong question. The right question is, is not can you wear that, not how close can you be, not how dare they wear that if we would just get them to change those things. But the, the problem isn't the symptom. The problem is the fact that they don't know Jesus. And if we start there, instead of just trying to do behavior modification, if they would actually know Jesus and enter into relationship with Jesus, then then that stuff is going to come because I'll tell you what, the Bible does say stuff about that. God does care about our purity. God does care about our money. That's not where we start. That's, That's not where Jesus started. See, obedience is not the same as love. But obedience does flow out of love. Do you see that? See, that's the progression, that we help people know, love, and obey, that we are people who know, love, and obey Jesus. Not because we're trying to to be more loved, but because we are loved and because we understand that Jesus is worthy of love. I, I love in, in uh, Luke 6.46, Jesus is talking about what does it look like to follow his commands? What does it look like? And, you know, if you've grown up in Sunday school, you remember this song. I was trying to remember it this morning. It goes something like, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came down. You guess, right? Am I singing it right? I can't remember the tune. Something like that, right? And, and then the foolish man, foolish man built his house upon the sand and, and something wiped it out. And all, you know, that, and he's saying, look. Yeah, the, Brooke's got it. She's got even the, I would have you stand up and lead us in it, but probably don't. We don't have time this morning. But, but you remember, like, Jesus in this, he's saying, this is what it looks like when you obey me. This is what it looks like when you, when you put my words into practice. You see, just because you love me, it doesn't give you a pass on obeying me because obeying me comes out of love for me. And in, in Luke 6, 46, before he talks about what does it look like to, to obey, what does it look like to put these things into practice, it looks like a, a wise man building his house upon a rock. And the storms that come against it, they can't overwhelm it. They can't tear it down. That's what it looks like to, to obey. But in Luke 6, 46, before that, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? See, the question in there is, if you love me, If you love me, why aren't you doing what I tell you to do? Am I your Lord or am I not? You call me master, you call me Lord, but then you tell me no. See, those things don't, they don't go together. It's, if if you call me Lord, then you obey me. If you call me Lord, if you truly love me, then see, if you, if you know me, that, that knowledge, that relationship should lead to love because we understand, we taste and see that the Lord is good, that, that we understand what it means to, to love Jesus and that love for Jesus should lead us to, to live lives that are obedient to Jesus, not because we're trying to, be, to, to change behavior, not because we're trying to be legalistic, but because we know that Jesus is good and he's worthy. He's the only one who's worthy of our love. He's the only one who's worthy of our submission. He's the only one who who is worthy of of our entire lives. And yet he says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. The question is, do you know me? 
Do you love me? Are you seeking to obey me? See, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to to be a disciple. That's why, as Anthem Church, you're going to hear over and over and over again that our vision is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus because it's a progression. We don't want to be a church who's just full of people who are are trying to, to be about behavior modification. We don't want to be a church who's full of people who, who are just like we, we say really nice flowery things and, and we skip around throwing flower petals. Oh, I don't know where that comes from. I'm tired. But like, you know, like we don't want to be a church that's just flowery, that just tickles your ears. We are going to say hard things because the Bible says hard things. We're going to seek to be people who obey. We're going to seek to be people who, who, who know Jesus, who, who, who aren't people who are just, like, just okay with being in the shallow end. It reminds me of uh, my son. Um, I didn't warn him that I was going to tell the story, but we, we went to this church camp up in Iowa, and uh, it was, <laughs> they had a blob at this church camp, you know, like in the lake, like these blobs. That, and he, I mean, he was probably five, like super small. <laughs> And and we were he was we watched Wipeout together. You guys ever seen that show Wipeout with the big balls trying to jump across? And he's like, Dad, they have a blob here. And I was like, Awesome, let's go do it at this lake. And this lake is nasty. I mean, it's an Iowa lake. It's I mean, it's nasty. Um, and so we go out there, and and I was like, Buddy, just jump out on there. I won't I won't jump hardly at all. You'll probably just you know kind of boop off a little bit. And so he's like, okay, dad. And so he gets his life jacket on. And he jumps out there. He crawls to the end. And I'm like, okay, you ready? And he's like, yeah, I'm ready. And so I just like, one, two, three. And I didn't even jump. I just stepped off. And as soon as I hit that block, like, I would just watch. It was like, like, a, like a rocket just shooting. And he's going, <laughs> And he did a front flip and landed right on his face. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. i as a dad, I'm just like, I just killed my son, like, at <laughs> church camp. And so I get off, and he's screaming. And he, I mean, he's just, wow, why did you do that? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. Um, but needless to say, he wouldn't go on it again. <laughs> and it took him years, literally years, to go on it again. And I kept saying, but I promise I won't do this. That's what you said last time. Like, buddy, I promise, I promise, I promise. Finally, uh, just a couple years ago, he's like, okay, if you promise not to do that, if you promise. See, in between that time, we'd, we'd get in the paddle boats. You know, it's like when you go to a lake, especially an Iowa lake, it's like you can get in paddle boats, but how long can you do that, right? How long can you paddle around and, like, look at things? It's like, okay, this is really fun. Let's paddle. Like, this is exercise. This isn't fun, right? And yet, we, we would do that, and I kept saying, but we, we can go do those things. We can go to the blob. No, I'm not doing that. We can go to the blob. We can go to the rope swing. No, I'm going to stick with the paddle boat because it's safe. And I don't blame him. <laughs> if I were him. But, but after a couple years, he's like, okay, let's do it again. And we did it, and it was, it was fun. And I didn't shoot him into orbit this time, and he was a little bit bigger. But see, I think... I think so much of the time, we have an invitation to go deep with God. 
And yet we're so content to just stick with the paddle boats. We're so content with just, you know, I'm going to just putter around over here. And yet the, the call is to go deeper and to experience more and, and to go off the blob. And it's like, why, why wouldn't I go do that? Why am I so content with this? And see, the, the thing with Anthem Church, the vision is to go deep with God, to know God. Not behavior modification, but to know Jesus which leads us to love Jesus, which leads us to be people who are obedient to Jesus. Anthem Church, and if you're, if you're new with us, if you're a visitor, our prayer this morning is that we would be a church like that. Right? I, I love the quote, and I'm going to end with this. D.L. Moody, a friend of his, he, he's a, a guy who's dead now who did a lot of awesome things for the kingdom. D.L. Moody had a friend who said, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Let me read that again. Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him, consecrated, set apart, set for his service. The world has yet to see what God can do with people like that. And, and D.L. Moody, as his friend spoke that into his heart, he, he just, he couldn't shake it. And he's like, ah. Oh. And he finally came to the place where he said, God, let me be that man. And with a fifth grade education, D.L. Moody went to be uh, an internationally renowned evangelist, preacher. He started a Bible college. He started a, a publishing house. He, he did amazing things for the kingdom. But it was because he said, I, I'm in. I want to know Jesus, which leads us to love Jesus, which leads us to obey Jesus. And my prayer is that we would be that kind of church. Let's Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your mercy to us. God, I praise you for the fact that you, um, you call us into deeper things. God, I praise you that, that you call us and, and you, you, you bring us and you invite us into relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would help us not to be just content with lesser things. God, with just the paddle boats, just, just puttering around. But God, that you would help us to, to enter into deeper things. And, and God, I pray that if there are people here who don't know you, God, that they, would, that they would seek to know you here to, this morning, God. I, I pray that, that those of us who, who maybe we do know you and maybe we are, we're falling more in love with you but we find it really hard to obey, God, I pray that you would help us to, to take steps of obedience. God, help us, to, help us to take steps where it leads us to love you more. God, help us to be people who are fully consecrated to you so that we can be a church who would not be about behavior modification, but we would be about introducing people to you. We love you, God. We praise you. It's in your name. Amen.